Hi, Jeff. I, I, I haven't seen you in a while. What have you been up to? Hey, good to see you, Andy. Well, I've been cross-country up in Vermont and uh, northern New York. We went up on a trip there for the last month of September. It's beautiful out there this time of year. And then we went over and saw the different Revolutionary War type stuff. I was at uh, was it Lake Ticonderoga. Excuse me, Fort Ticonderoga. It was awesome. Is that where they make the pencils? Well, you know, it's actually where the lead is mined, or what we would call the graphite. Uh, that's uh, kind of the, a lot of people use those darn old yellow pencils, Ticonderogas, haven't they? Isn't that where Ethan Allen is from? Oh, well, that's similar. He's from Vermont uh, General. He was a Revolutionary War fighter and a, a patriot of, that, of our country in the early days. Isn't he the one that made the cookware? Well, yeah, you could say his family did. If you thought of the expression uh, shaping uh, swords into plowshares or turning a cannonball into a frying pan, you know, the frying pan is something a lot more folks would use than cannonballs, thankfully. Anyway, uh, uh, what have you been up to, Andy? What what have you been doing in the last couple of weeks? Well, I, I went out with Lolita last night. Oh, how is Lolita? Does she still have a penchant for uh, games of chance? Yeah. She takes the shuttle out to the Shoemash Casino. I can't keep her away from the Pagao poker table. But we didn't gamble last night. Oh, what did you do? Lolita said it was a surprise, and I had to dress only in black and white. I thought, is this a party named after a cookie? Are we going to a Reservoir Dogs convention? Are the Blues Brothers playing? But it was something called the Black and White Ball, the 75th anniversary sponsored by the Mexican Ladies Social Club at the world-renowned Santa Maria Elks Club, number 1538. 75th anniversary? That must have been quite an event. Yes, it was. I wore my best black western suit and my bolo tie with a spider on it. We were all getting in the spirit of Dios de los Muertos. I had my two-toned black and white boots and a matching cowboy hat. It was quite an impression. I'll bet you did. I look like an Oreo cookie. (laughs) What did Lolita wear? The ladies of the Mexican Ladies Social Club usually have a dress code of only black and white. But this year they made an exception and allowed champagne gold. Was that for men and women? I think so. But my champagne gold suit was in the cleaners. Lolita was festooned in a beautiful gold dress with a low neckline showing off her elegant shoulder sleeve tattoos. Mm. All of them looked so gorgeous in their fancy ball gowns. It could be a little bit hazardous with all the six cents heels and all and the slippery linoleum. We only had a few spills. A bit. I'm sure. Oh boy, I bet Lolita was looking good. She was a sight. This event started in the 1940s to celebrate Mexican culture and support charities. This was my chance to network with the movers and shakers. A number of politicians were in the audience. I'm sure there were a few country music fans as well. It is patterned after the Bale Blanco y Negro, held yearly in the Chorobusco Country Club in Mexico City. They said the artist Frida Kahlo was a regular. I read that she liked to party. Well, what did you do then? We dined on a gourmet meal of chicken and steak and those classic 
Santa Maria Poquito Beans. <laughs> Yummy. What happened after that? They crowned the queen of the black and white ball. She was an adorable young lady, Adrena Longoria, who is a freshman at Fresno State, and she was a princess in the Elks Rodeo. I was so impressed that in 2023 at the Santa Barbara County Fair, she raised the Hampshire Swine Breed Champion and auctioned it off for a hopping $30,000 for scholarships. Wow, that's an impressive, impressive job there. It's nice to know that young ladies supporting our local agriculture. Oh, man, 30000 Well, what else happened? Well, they had a live music and dancing, a big band with horns. But it was hot in there, and they, they said, you got to be on the, if you're on the dance floor, you got to have your jacket on. Uh, there are no Jim Jordans allowed in the Elks Club dance floor. You can't roll up your sleeves and obstruct Congress and uh, <laughs> still get a job dancing on the floor. Oh, man, why can't we get a gig like that? Well, we're only a duo. And we got to build our band and we got to build our brand. Plus, did you work on any conjuntos or cumbias over the summer? Uh, well, uh, no, that, that sounds like a future project. Plus, they had this dance called the cha-cha slide. Everyone knew it. It made me nostalgic for the line dancing in the honky-tonks of Bakersfield. I have a song idea called the prance. It does involve a maypole. Very festive. Or maybe we could write a Halloween classic like Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> You're going to have to work on your your dance moves for that, brother. How would you feel about being back at the Elks Club? That was my side of shame and not winning the Elks Beard Arena. I did spot my arch rival, El Chapo Desquismelia, and his wife, Calamari. We kept our distance. There were a few furtive glances. El Chapo can cut a rug. Yeah. I was not going to take a chance on Calamari trying to bitch slap me again. Oh, that's probably a wise choice, my friend. His beard has grown nicely after that severe case of alopecia. I'm going to ha have to be on my game to beat him in this year's Beardarino. <laughs> sounds, like sounds like a great evening. Hello, you've reached another episode of the Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. Today is a focus on Lompoc with my guest, Leslie Thompson. So it will be a great show. Stay tuned. Well, I am here with Leslie Thompson, and this podcast focuses on Lompoc. Where's Lompoc? I've never heard of the place. <laughs> well, you grew up in Lompoc, and, <laughs> I and I wanted to start off with a little little history. Uh, Lompoc uh, was long inhabited by the Shumash. That's right. And it means, and the word means in the cheeks. Does it? Yes, it does. And I think that is the butt cheeks. <laughs> Those Shumash had a good sense of humor. And there's a prison there, so it makes perfect. Ooh, I like that. And, uh, and then the, the Spanish came and they called it Lompoco, which kind of reminds me of Toco, Topo Chico water. Uh, and they established the, the mission in the San Inez River Valley in 1787. 
did you go on a lot of field trips there when well, you were a child? Yeah, I don't remember school trips there, but we definitely spent a lot of time there because um, actually the earthquake destroyed the original site in south part of Lompoc, and it was rebuilt in the 1800s, I believe, uh, north of town. So there's fields and ag and no houses, oak forests up on a mesa. So they found a really nice sweet spot with water. They built an aqueduct so they could bring the water directly to the mission. But we walked on the grounds. There's acres and acres. It's a beautiful piece of property. It is so isolated out there. It's mm-hmm. really just the end of the road. It really is. You have to want to be in Lompoc to get to Lompoc. You have to go off the beaten track to get there. Well, I was thinking about um, about they had established a, a temperance colony there in 1888. And it kind of reminded me of the Halcyon colony. You know, people just trying to get away and do their own thing. I could see that. Um because again, it's isolation. Yeah. And they also uh, had a lot of mining. Uh, Diatomaceous earth. I, I'm glad you said that it's, for me. <laughs> it's one of the few places on the planet that has enough deposits to make it worth mining it. And they're still going at it. They, they hack at it. They chunk out giant pieces of it. It's used as a filtering because it's made of diatomaceous earth. And so. that is uh, tiny sea organisms. Yes, that's, they were deposited in mass long ago, and now they could just carve out sheets of it and then ship it off and use it as a, a filtering. And, and abrasive. Uh, abrasive, yeah. And it can kill insects that you don't want in your garden because it gets between, like a sow bug with all those scales on oh, it. Oh, wow. It gets between the scales, and then, and then it's... They can't move. So it's uh, sort of an organic pesticide. Wow. And it uh-huh. still remains the largest mine of its type in the world. Established in 1893. My sister used to call it the, the cloud factory. It's right on the southeast edge of town where they're doing, I still, I think that it's still, the plant's still active, but there's always billows of white smoke coming out, which is particles probably not that great for your lungs <laughs> but it looked like clouds and she called it the cloud factory when she was about two. Oh, a lot of wind it's pretty windy out there oh my gosh it's an east-west valley so right from the ocean nine miles away the wind has nothing to block it by the time it gets to to Lompoc and I remember as a kid being out on the playgrounds or in PE class, just going, oh, I just want to go home. This wind and my, and to this day, I'm hypersensitive to wind, I think because of that. Well, don't go down to Santa Maria. <laughs> then you get to smell the, what is it? The sugar beet. The sugar beet factory. That smell is, it smells like Santa Maria. <laughs> oh, you remember uh, the oh, Betteravia oh. sugar beet factory? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And yeah. it really, uh, yeah, we had a lot of, uh, we had feedlots in the city and a lot of uh, foul-smelling uses back in the day. <laughs> now, uh, also, the Lompoc, it was the site of the largest peacetime naval accident, the Honda Point disaster in oh. 1923. So that's part of our military history. Nine U.S. destroyers much. ran aground, killing 23 people. Wow. And then in 1923 is when they 
established Camp Cook, and and then ultimately they decided to launch missiles, and that really started the boom. And that's when you arrived in uh, Lompoc. Pretty much. Can you tell me a little bit about your history with the well, community? Well, my dad worked for the school district, not for the Air Force. But I think you mentioned this earlier when we were talking before the interview that the buzz of the the progress that the Air Force Base was making was attracting a lot of people to the area and their kids. And so schools were being built and new neighborhoods were being... And the prison, I'm not, not the, sure when the pr- prison was established. It was, has been there for a while. And of course, that's prisoners, wives, and families, but not a whole lot of other activity in association with the prison, but with the Air Force Base. I grew up with the most wonderful, smart kids. They were motivated. They were They were generals daughters and sons and so there was athleticism at Cabrillo High School that I've never seen before I mean a lot of athletes come from Lompoc oh and um one of them was Casey he was a ball player anyway um I can't remember his last name but with really smart people and a lot more diversity than you might expect than San Luis has for sure so it was great growing up with diversity, people who had lived in Turkey and Frankfurt and all our other Air Force bases across the, the planet. I was meeting people who had lived in the Philippines for years, and it was, it was great. It was, I got the benefits, although a lot of friendships didn't last long because their dad was getting transferred to yet another spot. But I think it really benefited Lompoc uh, economically, like you say. And then the space shuttle prog- program came in. Yeah, a lot of this area, we really survive on government, uh, the universities, the prisons, the hospitals, hospitals. the yep. toxic waste dumps, <laughs> the nuclear. We get everything that people don't want. <laughs> Just being in the 60s, it kind of reminds me of like, I dream of genie. That's kind of what I think about, you know, just this kind of bucolic uh, early 60s and and just the charm of a small town. And, and I just see it as a boom town, the signage, the hotels, you can see that it really had a, had a heyday. Yeah. I kind of miss those days because it's hard to go back and see how things have changed. I mean, sometimes it's fascinating, but, um, the way downtown now looks the mural project that's throughout, it just doesn't look like the Lompoc where, and my favorite department store isn't there anymore. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was right at H and ocean, that critical intersection. But, um, it was great growing up there. Flower field galore. I mean, now they've been replaced by vegetables, I think. And cannabis. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Oh, that's what my sister said too. Yeah. Yeah. But um, to drive or ride your bicycle through the flower fields when sweet peas are blooming their heads off and lobelia and stalks, those are the ones that smell like carnations, it was a smorgasbord for the nose to just drive through and have your windows open or be on your bike and smell these great flowers. And people came to take pictures of acres and acres of flowers. It, it was, I worked for Denholm Seed Company. Wow. When I was uh, between Hancock and UC Santa Cruz, I spent that summer working in the fields. I had, you know, Hispanics on every side of me, and um, they taught me a lot. <laughs> what did they teach <laughs> some you? Some choice words and some... some cultural things, and you know, just there was just so much fun. I was invited to barbecues and 
pig feeds and just it was a, a slice of culture that I hadn't immersed myself in but we're spending all day with rubber boots up to our knees bending over flowers to pick out the ones that they don't want the bees to pollinate you know we were culling basically oh wow yeah and then we would bring we were in the greenhouses a lot too um hand pollinating i was like a little busy bee in the greenhouses oh i tried that in the classroom i was not going to do that <laughs> that was um, for denholm seed company it was it was a good summer <laughs> well i remember i was in santa barbara in the 80s and i remember that long poke flower festival and and they had a kind of a hometown parade can you tell us uh, oh it was what one was of like? the best parades because there were four lanes there were two lanes going west and two lanes going east so it was huge streets in Lompoc, if you ever um, drive down Ocean Street, that's the east-west. Um, so there's plenty of room for Shriners and the Compton Drill Team and their their nemesis, the Downey Drill Team. It was amazing. So was, drill teams would come out of town from yes, L.A. to yes, it that was, parade. It was huge. And then their big dance at the park and all the, the rides at Ryan Park, but a big dance that night. And then, of course, people, just like the Mid-State Fair in Paso, could enter the pie contest or the jam making or, you know, there were all these specialty contests going on. So it was kind of like a, a fair where you could enter the biggest dahlia, you know, and win prizes, and valuable gifts. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of my uh, going back. To my dad was my grandfather was the director of the old settlers reunion in, in uh, Alvarado, Texas. And and they would have one night would be the beauty queen night and oh, one, yeah. one night would be the the uh, baby contest <laughs> and the fiddling. And so it just, Lompoc just really reminds me, it's almost frozen in time. A lot of the, you know, the town is still there and it reminds me of a valley town. It feels like it. I mean, there's a lot of agriculture even, even now. Oh, yeah. And we still honor that part of our history. There's still a flower field, um, a flower um, festival and a parade and the Ryan Park thing. I mean, it's a, a yearly thing. And I think a lot of our flowers that we grow end up on the floats too, um, traditionally. I mean, it's just, it's still going strong. And in a community like that, like you live in Mora Bay and, and those communities just don't change that much because of the size and location. They just haven't had the Walmart move in. I guess they have a Walmart in uh, Lompoc probably, but... but when the Kmart showed up, oh, yeah? I thought, I'm done here. I couldn't believe oh, really? they sold their soul to the devil. <laughs> it was just... Of course, I was a rambunctious hippie at that time. Well, that was during the 60s. I know. And wearing my tie-dye and not shaving my legs to my brother's horror. But there was a Kmart coming in and I just thought, okay, bye-bye. <laughs> But my parents still lived there and the dog that I grew up with. So I had plenty of reasons to still visit. But most of the kids who I knew who grew up there wanted to get the heck out of there. It's the kind of, you could work at the prison. You could work um, at the Diatomaceous Earth Factory and then all the support services or hospitals. But I think um, it was a good idea to go to Hancock and then get out to go on to UC Santa Cruz where I got a biology degree but um yeah a lot of my friends just wanted to get out there aren't too many that that still live there you know 
Well, I guess I was in Santa Barbara and maybe for different reasons, but it was just so unaffordable. Uh, oh, yeah. But too. yeah, f- for you, it was just a, a limited limited job market, gen- limited opportunities. My parents w- were both teachers originally. My dad was in the school district um, as an administrator, but they wanted nothing more than for their firstborn child to become a teacher. And I resisted that for a long time. But I eventually moved back with my first husband who built bicycle frames. You moved back to Lompoc Lompoc. with your first husband. Yeah. Uh I met him at Hancock and then we both got transferred to UC Santa Cruz and then he decided he wanted to go back to Lompoc. So we lived there a few shaky years and got a divorce and he's still building bicycle frames and I decided... uh No, no. He's Uh, in San Inez actually. But I decided to try teaching. So that you know, a 10 year hiatus, just fiddle farting around. And I decided to go back to school and do the teaching. That thing. sounds like me. I took a, did something else before I started teaching. Well, you got to get some life in there. It make it makes you a better teacher. I, I think that, that, uh, I heard someone say that teaching just takes such an emotional toll that, that, uh, you know, 40 years is too much. And, 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 and she was giving advice that, you know, do something else and, and go in a little bit later and, and, uh, cause it does take a toll. It does. I mean, there's a lot of kids who need you, who need good teachers, who need mentors, especially for men. So I salute you for that. But, um, th- there aren't that many mentors. There's no Boy Scout lead. I mean, there are Boy Scout leaders, but very few kids are into Boy Scouts anymore or they don't go to church or, and I'm not a, I, I, I don't care what people do. I just want them to get out and, and learn about the world. And it seems like we need good teachers. My dad was in charge of hiring teachers. So he would go far and wide to New Jersey to to recruit teachers to come to Lompoc. So he had to do the song and dance dog and pony show to convince them to come to this that was a, <laughs> backwards That was a town, hard right? sell. <laughs> But we got, that was the other reason I loved going to school there. We had great teachers, handpicked by my daddy. <laughs> was he, he was in administration? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he was the, he eventually became the superintendent of curriculum. And when I taught there as a substitute teacher, I'm in the, I'm in the staff room with my high school teachers, but in a different role as a fellow teacher. And it just felt so weird to, to not call Mr. Mackey, Mr. Mackey. I mean, I, I'm not going to call him by his first name. I never knew him that way, but here I am in the staff room with, with my former teachers. It was so fun. It was great. Anyway. Wow. What I learned uh, also when I first moved up here is that the the point, uh, what is that Concepcion, point conception, uh-huh. uh, is unique in the United States because they can shoot to the south and they can do a polar orbit as opposed to the equatorial orbit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I guess Lompoc is there and the Air Force Base is there just because of its... Uh, it's geographic geography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And then they moved all the nukes there. Did you ever think about all the missile silos and never thought about the other effects of what the space conquest and space program 
could lead us to. Although I was on a bike ride with a friend, we had a picnic with us and we stopped about halfway between Lompoc and the coast on our bikes and got out our picnic and we had just started to raise a glass to toast each other. And all of a sudden we heard this rumble and then the, the, the silo was literally two miles from where we had stopped for lunch. And the moment we're starting to clink our glasses, this thing goes off and I just thought, oh my God, am I supposed to marry this guy? Turned out I wasn't supposed to marry him, but we sure had a nice picnic. <laughs> I, I, I tell my kids, I, you know, I talk about Lompoc and, and they know it for the famous water park oh, that everyone knows for miles around. And, uh, but I said, Oh, you want to know a secret? You know, all the, they have nukes out there and they say, how do you know this? And it's not really a secret. I think they test, they test launch, launch missiles this year. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't follow it anymore, but you could, you'd be guaranteed as a kid that half the kids in the in the whole city would look up whenever there was a launch, and they'd know exactly what was going off over our heads. I knew nothing, <laughs> but I I it was it was actually kind of fun to ha- have these occasional launches that rattled the windows and shook everybody up a little bit, and then it was done. <laughs> so it was the city of the Cold War. <laughs> kind of, yeah. You went to school with uh, a lot of people that worked at the prisons, and you said that there were some famous prisoners out there. There were um, a few. They had a maximum security and a minimum, or a, I forget what the other one's called. Chuck Berry for uh, tax evasion was there, I think, maybe four years or four months. I can't remember. But Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. The Chuck Berry. The Boy, Chuck he Berry. Is so influential of so many people. Well, and that guy could sing the blues, but the guitar work, they actually, he had a concert or two. Of course, I wasn't invited, but I think it was just for the staff and the prisoners at the time. But, um, and he might have gotten a reduced sentence for it. I don't know. But he was in the minimum security section of the prison. But the prison hired a lot of people to work there. That's for sure. I got to go on a tour. My mom was taking a class at at Cal Poly and one of their field trips was to go into the prison and I got to I was an interloper I got to go along with them and that was an eye-opener that was very interesting my my dad worked in uh, the Chino prison Mm -hmm. uh, as a as clergy in the women's prison and it was quite a significant uh, did you get to visit no I didn't no but I saw Chuck Berry in the 80s in Santa Maria it was at the Santa Maria Fair and he was notorious for picking up a band. He didn't want to pay for a, a regular band. Mm. So he would just find a lo- some local guys and say, hey, learn my greatest hits. That's and, uh, pretty cool. And, uh, and, and just go out there. I don't think it, w- it made for great music, though. I, I don't think. Uh, I think he would have done better with a regular band. But he was notoriously cheap. <laughs> Do you remember, um, I know there were a lot of protests over the nukes. Do you remember uh, any of that? I think I must have been out of town by then. It didn't, uh, I don't remember. Otherwise, I would have. We we did go to uh, a rally. I think Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown and the, the ones who typically show up for, for events like that. I think Michael Douglas. It was at Avila. 
at where we now have huge concerts there, the blues concerts in the summer. Oh, for the nuclear power. Yeah, yeah to, to protest the nuclear power. And as we're, as we're all in this one car together trying to get out after the concert, my, the driver turned to me and said, you know what, Leslie, this is what it's going to be like trying to get, get away when the nuclear power plant erupts or leaks or... And I said, you're probably right, Larry. <laughs> but... Well, I uh, was in Santa Barbara um, in the 80s, and they were using Santa Barbara High School as a staging ground for the buses up to Avila when they were building that plant. Oh, yeah. I remember I, uh, I did a high school presentation against nuclear power. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was a big lefty position back then. Exactly, yeah. They have some great theaters there as well. I, I was uh, recently went to an event at the Flower Bar- Ballroom. Do you remember I've, seeing shows there? And... Well, they didn't call it that. So then I'm curious. I didn't look it up uh, where its location was, but I'm sure I must have been there. But it was called something different when I was growing up there. And the Lompoc Theater. Do you have oh any my gosh, of that? yes. It was closed for so long. But that's where I literally saw my first movie theater movie. Wow. And then that just started a great habit. And then later in life, I would lie that I was going to the movie theater and go somewhere else or just cruise. We had this four miles from east to west of the cruise. We turn Oh, ar- really? Cruising? Wow. Yeah. We'd uh-huh. turn around at Ryan Park and then go east to Foster Freeze and then make the loop over and over again. And it was just about being a renegade, smoking a couple cigarettes and rolling the windows down and chewing gum before I got home. So my parents wouldn't know. That's, Amer- <laughs> that's like American graffiti. It was really... That's how Lompoc was then. I don't know how it is to grow up there as a kid now. Um, but it was, I have just the best memories of it. Well, now there, the, of course the wine industry is certainly, uh, and wine tasting, but, but Lompoc has its, uh, uh, 57% Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really become a, a bedroom community for Santa Barbara. And they, I've heard Lompton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would follow, I hate to dis smirch a whole community uh, yeah. but you know affordable housing you know really you know pushed some you know i was in santa barbara and it really you know pushed residents out to, mm, the, to yeah. the periphery yeah i could see that i mean it happened all over california especially if you were anywhere near the beach that those were the prime real estate areas to live and of course you want safe communities um i think that changed after I moved away Lompoc became a little bit more um there was some more gang influence we were starting to see graffiti a lot more um sort of disenfranchised youth but that's pretty much everywhere that I've been so and you grew up in Vandenberg Village I did so that's between Vandenberg the base and Lompoc about four miles from Lompoc So itself. that was kind of the uh, middle-class affluent suburb. I would say so. There were track homes galore. And then they were working on the country club. And that's where I eventually lived. My, my parents b- uh, bought a lot, built a house among the oak forest. And that was that was the best part of growing up in Lompoc for me because it, it, they built a house that they wanted two-story um, barbecue, huge garden. It was just, it was just paradise. It was their dream house. It pretty much was. And that's one place I do not want to see again because it can't compare to my, my dad who had acres of 
corn and asparagus, rows and rows of asparagus and fruit trees. And I, the last time I even drove by, it was a different color. They'd gotten rid of some things and it was just like, it just wasn't my house anymore. And it kind of hurt a little bit. So I don't, I don't cruise by anymore. Well, you have no reason, uh, no to, reason to swing on by on the 101. You really have to go out of your way. Most of my friends left and <laughs> my parents are gone now. So, oh. And then, uh, and your dad stayed there. Uh, they stayed there until your dad's death. My dad died in 91, way too soon. He was 67 years old. Um, but he had a really good life. He was a Renaissance man. Can I tell you just a couple yeah, things? Yeah, go about for it. Yeah. He was a blacksmith. So he actually worked at the mission, was trained to make some of the implements that, that they historically would have made. And he, he was in the, the blacksmith um, building on their historical day, living history days at the mission. And he was showing people how the blacksmiths created a lot of the lamp fix, the light fixtures and the tools, and of course, horseshoes. But um, he also was in the Gents of Accord. He was a barbershop quartet singer. Oh, I love barbershop. Oh, he, he was, they were so good. They sang at my sister's wedding at our house um, in the country club. It was, it was wonderful. But my dad was known in the school district as one of the cool admin. And people don't say that. I mean, you work at a school, the admin administration, most of them are not the kind of people that you're going to go out for lunch with. I mean, I guess if you're lucky, but he made friends with the bus drivers. He made friends with the landscaping grounds crew. He was just a man for everyone. He was just so well loved by almost everyone. I think that's what you really need in a leadership position. You need someone with people skills. Yeah, I, I agree. And what's odd is as soon as he'd get home, he was untouchable. He didn't want to, he didn't want to talk on the phone. He, he inter interacted with us, but he would be often hours in the garden by himself or in the garage overhauling an engine. He was just, a, a he wasn't a jack of all trades, master of none. He was a master of many trades because he had been, um, a mechanic for so long. He, then he trained to be an opera singer. I mean, his interests were just, and he ended up being a luthier, uh, one of the upright basses fell out of the back of the band truck on one of their, on the band bus on one of their field trips. And he said, no, 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 don't toss it. He goes, I'll take all the pieces. The neck was still good. And he brought it home and that was his first rebuild of an upright bass. And then he built ukuleles, he built um, three violins, I think repaired clocks. I mean, he was just, he had plenty to do after he retired, but it was such a short lived retirement because of his early death. So within a few years, my mom sold the houses that they had bought to rent out. And it ended up, she ended up with, um, a nice little nest egg and bought this house where we're, where we're sitting right now, Andy. Out here, you've, <laughs> you've rebranded this house as the Oaks. The Oaks, where we have house concerts every now and then. And parties and it's just it's an airbnb so it, oh, thanks mom thanks dad it worked out now did you what were the arts programs like in the in the schools in that at that time 
Well, all I remember was high school taking art, and it was, I think, two periods long. Of course, when you're junior, senior, you've taken care of most of the required classes by then. I wasn't on a, a prep, um, college prep path. I was just taking regular ed classes, but I did have time in my schedule for a two-hour art class, and that was amazing. Visual art. Yeah, yeah, we were we were doing 3D, we were doing painting, um, all to <laughs> some of our favorite music. Our, our art teacher, Mr. Fisher, was so cool. He played Blind Faith. He played that album oh, over that. and oh over in my art class. That is such a good album. What's not to love, right? It was so fun. Um, but as far as arts in general, I don't remember the art scene in Lompoc. I do remember murals now but at the time there must have been a beautification i in fact i do remember that the lompoc beautification committee wanted everything including the taco bell which already was going to have the spanish tile roof but they wanted everything the architectural review committee wanted everything to be spanish tiles because of the mission and I think they've gone away from that by now because it doesn't have to be a Spanish-looking town. It's, it's, you know, I don't know. The mission was, was great, though. Maybe they were going for the unified design theme like Solvang. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And Solvang was quite the getaway for us growing up as kids. Oh, wow. It was fun. Yeah, good pastries and lots of festivals, and they have their mission as well, so... Well, now, uh, so you're you're retired and you're a performer. We do uh, improv together. Yes. And just can you tell me a little bit of what you're up to now? You have a, your own concert venue. Yes, the concerts haven't been as well attended as they were in 2019 when we started. And then, of course, with COVID, we went we were outdoors, and that was fine with most people. And they were those were the early days, but we've since moved the concerts indoors. And though we have plenty of room for more people, we just not getting as many. And so we can barely um, compensate our artists for even the gas money to get here. And I just, there's a lot of um, anticipation, a little bit of disappointment. And I go through that with every concert. And then there's also that moment during the music when I just turn to Vince, my husband, and just go, this is a good thing we're doing. I mean, the, the music and the intimacy of the performances with just so few people is really a treat for those of us who are here. But that's going to become a thing of the past after December. We do rent this out as an Airbnb. Um, but I also love to play music here. You've played music with me here. And it's just a... It's a great place for family and friends to gather, but I don't think we're going to do the concerts anymore. But I love the comedy, and I love doing stand-up. You're quite the, the genius Aww, in stand-up. We have you. so much fun, and there's so many venues with open mic, and someday we'll be on a poster, and it'll be us as a featured stand-up comedian, Andy. It's going to happen. Well, I'm, uh, I'm already working on my next act. Nice. Well, you introduced me to... Uh, this whole network of singer-songwriters that are driving up and down the coast, and there's just so much talent. I'm so impressed. Uh, it's just, and after COVID, just people are out and doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's it's a challenging life to make make a living as an artist. It would be, especially. I'll never forget. Um, 
I can't remember his last name. One of our artists handed me um, a CD, but he said, would you like one of my business cards? Because that's about all these are worth these days. Oh, yeah. The, the CDs. And then lately, they've all had the option of just a USB with all their albums on it. And that's what you what you buy from them because everything's digital. So Yeah, it is really uh, awkward because, yeah, artists, how do they market, like at a show, how do they market their music? And I guess vinyl, you know, for, for like a niche market, but... Uh, yeah, the last, um, the last performer, um, Astra Kelly, what a rocker. She was very good. Oh, wow. But she had some vinyl that... She doesn't even have the CD out yet of her new stuff, but the, the vinyl has every new song on it. And two people bought the vinyl that night with signed it. She signed it. And so they're collectors. So you said it was more rocking? She was rocking. Uh, she has a lot of heartfelt stories. And of course, most song singer songwriters are storytellers. It goes hand in hand. She had a lot of stories through song about her mother who passed after a long bout with cancer and that kind of thing. So it, it makes for some pretty good music because they write about things that we most of us have experienced you know loss love heartache joy i just and then silly my first few songs that i wrote i've only been writing songs for about five years now but the first few were just silly just silly songs uh -huh. you know there won't be room in heaven when I die. All the good seats will be taken. Folding chairs for the forsaken. There won't be room in heaven when I die. <laughs> That's just a sample of Goofy, although that was inspired by the death of the Foo Fighters drummer, Taylor. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. thought, oh, my God, another one. I mean, we, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and all of them, but... But why is this still happening? Why did Michael Jackson die? Why did Taylor die? It's just, you know, the, the, the draw of being a musician and, and the, the, how fame changes you and then the angst of being lonely in your hotel room when it's all done. I mean, it, it's, that's kind of the romanticized version of it. But that really hit me hard. And I thought, with COVID... And all these people dying, I just thought, there won't be room in heaven when I die. Well, I heard a, a country song, and they said, hell, hell is full of elbows and asses. Oh, it's geez. pretty crowded in hell. <laughs> I was supposed to see uh, John Entwistle uh, with The Who, and he died oh, two days before oh, oh. of cocaine in Las Vegas. Right? And, and then uh, they got a substitute to play that Hollywood uh Oh. Bull show, oh. but I I uh, I like the rock and and now the Who are they have violins and they're all uh, mellow now, so they're not rock. the The band that practically invented hard rock is like playing uh, opera. <laughs> What's hard is so many of our idols are dying of a natural long life. I mean, that's that's what hurts. Robbie Robertson. I mean, it's just it really hurts when it's people who've influenced us all this time. And then John Lennon's death anniversary comes up and I'm just reminded all over again of how much I miss him, you know, oh, yeah. but the music lives on. So there's the good part. But yeah, how do you make a living as an artist, a musical artist? It's just... Well, it's the technology. I was reflecting on the the writer strike and and 
And it's like the tech companies ruin the music industry Spotify. and then they have pretty much ruined the movie industry. I, I mean, I try to go to a movie every once in a while, but it's uh, just corporate mm. product and, mm. and they're, they're going to ruin TV too. <laughs> yeah. They're taking everything away. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's so nice to interview you, Leslie. It's such Thanks, a pleasure. Andy. And, uh, it's been fun to reminisce a little bit. Yeah. There we, are other stories I could tell you, but that's I want a the bad stories. That's I a want different the kind of stories. <laughs> the skinny dipping stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to go off on um, a famous band, a notorious band from Lompoc, and they're called St. Anne's Place. So, you ever heard of St. Anne's Place? I've heard of St. Anne's, but not the band. Well, it, may, it reminds me of St. John's Wart, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's a classic blues band, and so we're going to go out on that. Okay, cool. All right, thanks. Perfect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> the end of another Cowboy Jeff and Andy podcast. My special thanks to Leslie Thompson. I can be reached on Facebook at Andy Watson and we're on Gmail at CowboyJeffAndAndy at gmail.com all lowercase. So I'll see you next week. Bye bye.